0: Really, really, really good to see you this morning. I know for a lot of us, it's been an easy week. A lot of us, it's been a pretty rubbish week. For some of us, it was hard to come here this morning. So I want to say well done for making it out the house and getting here. It is really, really, really good to see you. Now we're beginning our series in Giants and I'm going to start here. And maybe I'm being a bit vulnerable here. Um, you know, when we were kids, we had those irrational fears around about bedtime. I, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe I'm speaking for myself. But but you, you perhaps were afraid that there was something lurking under the bed and that kept you awake at night. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it was just me. Or maybe you were scared of the small little spider in the corner of the room. Or, or maybe it was a creak in the house and you wondered what that was. Or maybe you were afraid of something something in the closet or something around that dark corner at the end of the hallway. M- maybe Maybe you were there and you know what I'm talking about. Because for me, I had... I had one of those fears. Now, I'm going to guarantee there's no one else in the room here this morning who had the same as me. You see, my fear was a strange one. For some reason, something had uh, squeezed itself into my wardrobe. It had beady eyes, it had sharp, shiny teeth, and it had scaly skin. And, And this thing was crouched, and I don't know how it fit in my wardrobe, but it was there. And it was ready to leap out and get me as soon as I let my defenses down or the light went out. This thing was going to get me, of course. You know what I'm talking about. I was afraid of a velociraptor. <laughs> If you've seen Jurassic Park, you know what I'm talking about. Now, I'd seen Jurassic Park because I was crazy about dinosaurs, but obviously Jurassic Park was too much for me to handle. And so then I grew up, six, seven, eight-year-old, thinking that there was a velociraptor out to get me, that somehow he had managed to squeeze himself into my wardrobe or he was around the corner, and as soon as I let down my defenses, this killing machine was going to get me. I'm going to guarantee no one else was afraid of that as a kid. But for me, it was it was a velociraptor. So I remember mom and dad used to come and have to reassure me at their vain attempts to tell me, look, look, look in the wardrobe. It's not there. It is nowhere. These things don't exist anymore. But in my mind, they did. I don't know about you, but maybe you had a feel like that. Something irrational. Something you could look back on and just think, that was stupid. I didn't have to be afraid of the dark because there's nothing there. And there isn't actually anything under my bed. And there isn't really velociraptors out to get us. I think. No, there isn't. <laughs> no, there isn't. But we realized when we grew up, as we grew up, the things we were afraid of back then, we realized we don't need to be scared of that anymore. The things that kept us awake have actually morphed, haven't they? That, that as we grew, so did the problems that we faced. As we grew up and graduated into adulthood, so did the things that we... We faced and came up against. You know, when we grow up, things still keep us awake at night. There are still things that cause us to stare at the ceiling in the early hours of the morning and just think, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. We still are kept awake by things. Now, for us, we know it's morphed into things that we could never have imagined as children. Sometimes we're kept awake by regret Sometimes that thing that keeps us awake is, is it loneliness or it's anger or it's frustration. We face things that keep us awake. Relationship strife, financial strife, a sense of purposelessness. There's plenty of things I could list off that we face. There's plenty of giants that we face in our lives. Plenty of things that keep us awake through the night. You see, when we grew up, so did our fears. And we know we know, don't we, in our heart of hearts, we know if only we had the courage, if only we had the strength, if only we had the resources available to us to face these things, if only we could think through those things that keep us awake night. If we could think through them properly, life would be so much different. You could say to yourself, if you think about that thing you have faced, you are facing, or could potentially facing face, and if I could just think about that properly, if I could somehow have some level of courage to face that, some strength, some capacity to just face it, I know my life would be massively different. I know I could flourish in a completely different way. See, our big need in the face of these things is to find courage. And that's our big question this morning. This this idea of giants isn't a question of if it's always a question of when for us we know the world we live in so how do we find courage to face them how do we find that capacity how do we find the tools how do we find the strength to be able to face them so our giant question we're asking this morning is this how do we find courage to face the things that keep us awake at night how do we find courage to face those giants so we're going to be turning to a very famous story about an ill-equipped shepherd, shepherd boy and a highly equipped giant. So grab those Bibles. We're going to be in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 17. Uh, you can get that open in, in your own Bible, get it open on your phone, or you can grab one of these black hardback Bibles on the ends of the pew. That's going to be page 288, page 288. I'll give you a moment or two to turn there. Get that open on your phones and your own Bible. Great. So let's set the scene a little bit. Remembering our question is how do we find courage to face these kinds of things? Let's set the scene. Because we join the story in 1 Samuel chapter 17. Well, the thing is, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, we have just seen David being anointed as king. So Samuel comes along and sees all of Jesse's eight sons, and then in the end, David is anointed as the future king of Israel. Now, it's strange because that fact seems to be have conveniently forgotten. Everybody seems to forget that he's been anointed. So he's given the menial tasks of looking after dad's sheep. Now, when we step into 1 Samuel 17, we are faced with a battle scene. It's in a famous valley called the Valley of Elah. And like any other valley, this valley is surrounded by hills. On one side we have the invading Philistine army, represented by Goliath. Then we have, on the other side, the Israelite army, in this moment represented by no one. And what we have in the story, we know it really well, is that this champion comes forward, his name is Goliath, and he starts, starts taunting the Israelites, and everybody trembles, everybody's afraid, they don't know what to do. So we meet this scene in the Valley of Allah in a very tense situation. Let's pick this story up in verse 4. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span, about nine feet. And he had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of his coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs and a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam and his spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And his shield bearer went before him. He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. So we, we find this almost gro- grotesquely armored giant come forward and he begins to taunt the Israelite army. We know the story really well. Look, Israel, just send someone out. We could solve this battle really quickly. You just send someone. We'll fight them and we don't have to, we have to get all of the armies to fight Goliath. Just finish this guy off and it will all be sorted. But then enter this young man named David. Now David enters the scene, like we've said, as the anointed future king of israel people have forgotten about that and he's been giving been given two very very menial tasks one to look after dad's sheep that's the job that nobody wants to do very lonely could be quite dangerous but the other job he's been given is to ferry food to the battle scene so he has to take grain bread and cheese all the way from where he was working to the battle scene in the valley of allah really simple menial task not something a future king should be doing But he comes to the scene and this is where he witnesses this dramatic scene of tension going on between these two nations. This is where David comes in. So let's pick up right here in verse 24. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, that's Goliath, fled from him and were much afraid. The men of Israel said, have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. The king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David said to the men who stood by him, What shall be done for the man who kills the Philistines and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him in the same way, so shall it be done to the man who kills him. Now, David's brother then questions his motives. They don't seem to think, hang on, David, um, you're just a young kid. You've not really had any battle experience. You don't know what you're doing, David. Have you seen Goliath? Um, I'm going to question your motives here, David, his brother seems to say. But look at this in verse 32. David is focused. And David said to Saul, let no, man, no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant used to keep sheep for his father, and when there came a lion or a bear or, uh, or, and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be the one, shall be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. So David is focused right here. David is single-minded. David doesn't seem to see his inability and his inexperience. In fact, David seems to look straight at the Lord, and that seems to be where his trust is placed. Let's keep reading verse 38. Then Saul clothed David with his armor, a helmet of bronze on his head, and clothed him with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor, and he tried in vain to go, for he had not tested them. Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. And David put them off. And then he took his staff in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the brook and put them in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. And the Philistine moved forward and came near to David with his shield-bearer in front of him. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said, David, am I a dog? Said to David, am I a dog that you may come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword And that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and with spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. And when the Philistine arose and came and drew near to meet David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag, took out a stone, slung it, and struck the Philistine to his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. Most of us know the remainder of the story. David rushes up, he cuts off Goliath's head and everybody celebrates and the the, the Israelite army then advance and chase away the Philistines back to their homeland. Israel is now safe again. Now, now the most popular reading of what we've just been through right there is to say something along the lines of um, Goliath represents your fears. Goliath represents any giant you can face Goliath represents those things that keep you awake at night fine but then david this is the most popular reading i think that david says then david it represents this challenge to you this this command this this example to say Look, look what David does. He defeats his giant by finding courage within himself. So what you have to do to be like David is to dig that courage up from within yourself. You have to summons up the blood. You can find that courage, that strength, that ability to face Goliath within you. That's what I think the most common reading is. Goliath is your fears, but David is this challenge for you to do exactly the same and find courage within yourself. How does that reading of the story leave us? I want to suggest it leaves us feeling disillusioned, it leaves us feeling tired, and it leaves us feeling confused. Why? Well, here's the thing. What happens when you face a giant that you really don't have the strength within yourself to face? I mean, what, what happens if you face a life problem, something that keeps you awake at night and you know in your heart of hearts you do not have the courage, you don't have the tools, you don't have the resources available within yourself to actually defeat that giant, what happens then? Well, you start to feel disillusioned, you start to feel confused, you start to feel tired. Well, if David is this challenge, this command, this example to find courage within myself, and I can't find it, then what does that say about me? Because I can't find it. And we know the things that we face are absolutely enormous. We don't face something hiding under the bed. We face things that threaten to spin us out of control. We face things that we don't have answers for. We face things that cause us to ask some of the biggest questions we have ever asked. What happens when you face a giant that is insurmountable? What happens when you face a giant that you just can't face in your own strength, and you'll never get round it? Well, if we read it this way, that David is the encouragement to find strength within ourselves, well, then this doesn't actually make any sense to us. Well, so, how should how should we be reading this? Because we still need courage, right? Our question is, how do we find courage? And if that's not the answer, then What is the answer? We need this courage. How do we find courage to face the things that keep us awake at night? Well, I think the answer is right here in the text. I'm going to go back to verse 4 to verse 7. Really interesting stuff here. And there came out from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath. Fine. Look at these details. Whose height was six cubits and a span. His helmet of bronze on his head was a a, a helmet of bronze. He had a helmet of bronze on his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail. And the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels. He had bronze armor on his legs, a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam. He had a spearhead, weighed 600 shekels of iron, and his shield bearer went before him. Now, Robert Alter, one of the most famous Old Testament Hebrew narrative. Uh, scholars says uh, there is an unusual amount of page space given to the details of Goliath and there is an unusual amount of page space given to the things that David is unable to do flip over the page verse 33 look at this contrast here "And and Saul said to David you are not able to go against the Philistines to fight for him look at this contrast for you are but a youth and he has been a man of war From his youth. We then go further down the chapter. What do we find? David can't even come close to the kind of armor that Goliath is wearing. So what does that show us? What does that show us about what's going on here? Well, I don't think the author is trying to tell us, hey, you need to find the courage to face your giants within yourself. I think it's much more simple than that. I think what the author is trying to do in this whole chapter is to frame a contrast between the two warriors who are fighting in this battle. There's a contrast going on. We've got Goliath, who's got he's got experience, he's got achievement, he's got armor, he's got size, he's got an army behind him, he's got swagger, he's got confidence, he's got it all. He is the ultimate warrior. But then in the contrast, we then go to David. What's David? David's no armor, no experience, he's a kid, he's small, and he doesn't really know what he's supposed to be doing. You see, I think what the author is trying to do is not say, find the courage within yourself, therefore a command. The author is giving us a choice. A choice. Where are you going to find the courage for the fight? Are you going to find courage like Goliath in everything man-made and everything man-centered and everything that you can do, your achievements, your stuff, You see, Goliath is the swaggering personification of self-help. There he is. Goliath can do it. He's the man. Goliath can win. Where does he put his courage? In himself. What about David? Other side of the contrast. David doesn't have the armor. David isn't about self. Where's his single-minded gaze? Where is that tenacious staying power coming from? It's coming from the Lord. You see, I think what the author's intent in this chapter, and we need to see this, his intent is to give us a contrast. So therefore, it can't be a command for us to summons up the blood within ourselves to face our giant. What is it then? It's a contrast. What does the contrast say? Where are you going to find your courage? Are you Are going to find it in yourself? Are you going to find your courage to face the giant in your achievements, in your ability, What you have, how good you can be, how strong you can be, how courageous you can be in in all of your talk to David? No? Or or are you going to find your courage not in that stuff, but in the Lord alone? You, You see, if it's a contrast, that changes the way we read it, right? Because then David is finding his courage in the Lord. So if this is that contrast... The passage is showing us the right place to go and find courage. Not in self, not in self help, not in what we can do, our achievements, but in the Lord alone. So we have something of an answer, right? How does David find courage? Well, he finds courage in the Lord. But I want to dig a bit deeper now. David finds courage in the Lord. But how? You know, if David's finding courage in the Lord, I want to ask. How exactly does he find courage in the Lord? Is there an answer here? I think it's summarized in verse 37. And David said, look at this. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. So David finds courage in the Lord, but how exactly does he find courage in the Lord? Well, the answer is that he finds courage in the knowledge of all that the Lord has already done. You have to hear that. How does David find courage? He finds courage in the knowledge of all that the Lord has already done. You see, I don't think we need to step into this, this chapter and start saying, Oh, I know who David really is. Or I know who I am in the story. Or I know who this Israelite army really are. No, what does it actually say? It says that David finds courage right there in all that the Lord had already done for him. So, a big question at the beginning. What was it? How do we find courage? Well, how does David find courage? In the knowledge of all that the Lord has done. How do we find courage? In the knowledge of all that the Lord has already done. You're like, okay then, James. Okay. We're centuries, millennia, removed from this dramatic scene in the Valley of Allah. We're just not there anymore. We're not fighting on this battle scene. We aren't coming up against this terrible figure of Goliath. We're just not there. How would that have anything to do with you and me today? I mean, how does David's source of courage, how how does that work for us in 2018 in our lives? Well, I'm going to contend that it's exactly the same. David finds courage in all that the Lord has done. Where do we find courage? In all that the Lord has done. Now, Now, think about David. David could look back on his own experience at all that God had done for him. He could look at the deliverance from the bear, deliverance from the lion. He could also look back on Israel's history. He could see the Exodus story. He could see how the Lord had given Israel the land. He could see so many twists and turns where God had been faithful, where he had showed up and he had kept his people and he had, he had showed up in a big way in so many different circumstances in Israel's history. David looked back and he had an awful lot to see, to see what the Lord had done. But what about us? Where do we stand? We stand in the 21st century. What do we see when we look back? Well, we can see an Old Testament where the Lord promised to send a Messiah. We can look back on the Old Testament where where the Lord said, I will send someone who will crush the head of the evil one. I will send someone to do something for your sin finally and fully. I will send someone. And then we look back. What do we see? We look back and we see that God did, the Father did send the Son into our world. He stepped down from His throne. He took on human flesh and became a person just like us. And we can look back and what do we see? We see that this Savior lived out the perfect life that we really couldn't live. What do we see when we look back? We see a Savior who did everything right where we go wrong. He loved perfectly where we end up hating. He demonstrated peace where we end up worrying. This guy, Jesus, our Savior, lived the life that we couldn't live. And then we look back, what do we see? We see that this Savior ends up taking the punishment that we deserved. And on the cross, what do we look back when we see? That this Savior takes our sin upon his shoulders. The wrath and the judgment we deserved, he takes for us in our place. And then what do we see that he cries out, it is finished. And then, and then what do we see when we look back? We see that this savior rose again from the dead and he won a new life that we could never win so that we can have new life. And what do we see when we look back? We see a savior who ascended into heaven and sent the Holy Spirit. What do we see when we look back? We see 2000 years of God's faithfulness over church history. What do we see when we look back? We see that Jesus Christ has promised to come again and will one day make things new. What do we see when we look back? We see we have a God who stepped into our predicament, proclaimed a victory that we see in part now and will one day see completely in the future. What do we see when we look back? We see all that the Lord has done. Where does David find courage? He finds courage in the knowledge that all that God has done. He looks back. Where do we find courage? Same answer, same place. In all that the Lord has done. You're sitting there, right, James? All right, I get it. So, I get out of here this morning. I get in my car and I go home. And I tuck into my lunch. And you're telling me that if I look back and I know all that God has done, all of those things that keep me awake at night will evaporate. Is that what you're saying, James? Are you saying, I've just got to know what God has done? That's it? I've just got to know that Jesus died on the cross and he rose for new life and that's my new life and then I can look forward to the fullness of his victory one day in the new heavens and the new earth. That's all I've got to do and then then my giants will just disappear, right? No, that's not the promise of the Bible or of this series. No. You see, we live in a different stage to history than David. We have a stage in history we call the already but not yet. We've talked about it before. But what does that mean? Well, the already but not yet stage in history is this rather awkward place where we see Jesus' victory in part, but we anticipate the fullness of his victory in the future. The already but not yet is when we can look back and see that Jesus on the cross has defeated the enemy. He's defeated sin. He's defeated sin's effects. And we get to see that in part now. We get to see that he reigns in our lives and he brings healing in our lives and and he reigns in his church and proclaims a message through his church, but there is a not yet to his kingdom because we wait for the fullness that is to come. We live in this awkward stage in history we call the already, but not yet. So the promise isn't that the giant will disappear. The promise isn't that the thing that keeps you awake at night is going to dissipate. It might and praise the Lord if it does. But what's the promise? The promise is that we can have courage to face it when we see what God has done and what has he done. He's won a victory in the person of Jesus Christ and promises to come again. Where does David find courage? Where does he find it? In himself? No. (laughs) He finds it in God alone. But how? In seeing what God has done, how do we find courage? in knowing what God has done, that he's won the battle in Jesus Christ and will come back to make things right. So you know what that means then? And this is where the rest of our series in Giants is going. That means when you face that addiction, when you face that loneliness, when you face that sickness, when you face that anxiety, when you face that purposelessness, when you face that fear of death and that fear of illness, When you face that thing that keeps you awake at night and you don't know what to do, that means we do have tools to face it. That means we do have a place to go where we can find courage to face these things. How? How do we find that courage? In the knowledge of what God has done in Jesus Christ and the promise that one day things will be made new see, the Bible finishes in such, such a special place that fills us with hope, that enables us to have courage. The Bible says, one day every tear will be wiped away. All the suffering will be done. And there's that beautiful promise. And he will dwell with them. That's what we're looking forward to. Why? Because it's been promised. How do we find courage then? In all that God has done. He's won the victory in Jesus Christ and will one day come back and bring that victory in its fullness. That is where our courage lies. Hey, before we sing our last song, we're going to pray together, so let's pray. Lord, we are thankful for your word and how it speaks into our lives. Lord, way too often, we we end up trying to find the strength for the fight within ourselves. But we know pretty quickly that can't be the case. No, the strength is from you and in particular in what you've done. So Lord, help us from our vantage point in history to look back and to see how you've proved yourself. Help us to look back to see how you've revealed yourself. Help us look back to see that you have shown us that you are a God who's for us and not against us. And you are a God who's filled us with hope in the person of Jesus Christ. Lord, as we face the things that keep us awake at night, as we face the things that cause us to ask questions, as we face the things that cause us to stop in our tracks. Would you give us courage by showing us who you are and what you've done for us in Jesus. And we're praying in Jesus' name, amen.